listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. I thought it would be good to have just me and Mike on this first week, and what this is going to be is, is really conversational. And the thing that I, that I really hope that we can do is uh, create an environment that um, it's like if you walked into one of our offices, grabbed a cup of coffee, and we're just talking about these things, that we were able to have an in-depth conversation, a, uh, a discussion about some of these important topics. And so the first couple minutes here, I just want to explain what the purpose of this is. And, and one of the things that I think is so important behind these conversations is to think through tough, relevant questions. You know, people are asking these questions, and we are not trying to turn you into better arguers, Okay, that's not what this is about. This isn't, okay, I'm going to take this and I'm going to go beat someone down with some truth later on during the week. That's not what this is about. It's, it's better to think about this as a way of equipping yourself to have these conversations. So maybe you have questions about some of the things that we're going to be talking about. Maybe you have questioned yourself or you know of a family member that's very skeptical about some of the things in the Christian faith. This is a way to hopefully equip yourself to be able to have confidence to go forward in those things. Secondly, I want to talk about uh, the nuance behind some of these questions, okay? Today is going to be a 30,000-foot view. Uh, It's a very kind of general outline of uh, kind of our culture where it's going versus religion. We're talking talking about that word religion. I know that is a jam-packed word for some of you, but some of these questions are going to have some nuance in them, okay? Some of them are not. Like when we get to a point where we're talking about can Jesus be true for you and not for me, there's not a whole lot of nuance to that question, okay? There's pretty much one truth. We're going to talk about that today. But some of, some of the things that are going to be expressed by different leaders, maybe even me or Mike, you may not agree with, And that's okay because we have to have this marketplace of ideas, this ability to have conversations and maybe disagree, but still walk away with love, still walk away with this idea of mutual respect. And I think that's one thing that's missing uh, in a lot of our conversations, not just in the Christian sphere, but many other spheres in our culture, that our ability to have conversations with people that we disagree with is very, very poor. And so the Bible would say that our words should be seasoned with salt, should be uh, coming with gentleness, and we're not, like I said, uh, here to create a bunch of lawyers that can argue better than anybody in, in Van Alstine. We're here to help you and equip you. And that should start by by understanding that our words are meant to build up and not destroy. And that leads me to our third point here, okay? Why, Why are we doing this? What's the point? We need to be the people of truth. And that truth should be coupled with compassion. Truth and compassion. As believers, we stand upon the belief of absolute truth, that we have 
given to us a divinely uh, inspired word. That's what we believe. And that truth is outside of us, that we don't define truth. And because we don't define truth, that should give you a confidence that you're not having to come up with truth on your own. So because we have a divinely, divinely inspired word, a divinely inspired truth outside of ourselves, we have confidence. And in that confidence, at the center is Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have to understand at the forefront of these conversations that our world is lost. It's lost. It's always been lost It's always been crooked since Genesis 3. It's not worse. It's just more sin is manifesting its way into our world, and we're being revealed. It's it's being shown to us. And so we should not be above the culture and say, how dare you look at all these people that don't know what they're doing. We should... uh, confront this like Jesus does when he goes and sees Jerusalem sinning and rejecting him. What does he do? He weeps. He weeps. He shows compassion for people that are sinning against God. And so, like I said, we want this to be a time to grab a cup of coffee, to listen, to engage, and July 4th weekend, I just want to throw this in there. We're going to have a little break, and what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to ask us some questions, okay? We rarely do this. Like, I'm not going to ask, like, okay, raise your hand if you have a question today, uh, but that's, uh, we're not going to do that today, but what we will ask you to do is email us, write it down, ask us in person, and on July 4th, we're going to confront some of those questions that maybe are born out of some of the things that we're going to talk about uh, over the next couple of weeks. So, Mike, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I'm just curious, as a, kind of a point of reference for us, how many of you at some point in your life have had a negative experience with someone who would describe themselves as religious, whether it was in the context of the church, already some hands popping up, uh, in the context of the church, maybe uh, outside the church, whatever. okay, so... I think as we look at this question, and I don't want to jump ahead of Jace, um, but I think it's important for us to understand what we're talking about when we talk about religion. Because you will often hear us say in our preaching and teaching that, uh, for example, we, we're really not about religion, we're about a relationship, right? And I think we understand what we mean when we say that, okay? But we've got to understand here, the word religion or religious means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I mean, I can tell you that I religiously eat barbecue, right? Okay, I think you know what I mean when I say that. I don't worship at, uh, at least I don't think I do, at, at Hutchins. Um, but, I get but, close. Uh, you get close. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can't. So that means a lot of different things to a lot of people. Fundamentally, we would say that religion is man's attempt to get to God. Okay, whenever you think of religion a lot of times, okay, Christianity, the relationship that we understand as the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is God coming down to man in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we understand those distinctions. Um, And so you you could ask a lot of different people on the street, are you religious? And a lot of people would go, yeah. But if you said, well, tell me what that means to you. 
Some would say, well, we're in church every week. We do RAs and GAs. We do Awanas. We do this. We do this. We do that. That's what they would mean. Other people would mean, um, I practice contemplative meditation. I love to go out to the mountains and sit beside a stream and meditate. To them, that's religious. Uh, and so I think it's important to, to like Jace was saying, I think to, to be winsome, to be engaging with the culture in which we live, first of all, you've got to acknowledge that some people view things and the world a little differently than you do, even when you're using some of the same terms. And so I think this question comes up a lot of times because, let's just face it, a lot of bad stuff has happened in the name of religion. Am I right? Think 9-11. Think 9-11. Okay? The people that hijacked those planes and flew them into our towers and all of that stuff were religious zealots. Okay, so they were doing that in the name of their religion. Okay, and before we Christians get too smug and think that that's just Islam or whatever, there's been some bad stuff done in the name of Christianity too. You ever study the Crusades? Okay, so you understand what I'm coming from here? So understand, even today in our modern world, there's stuff, bad stuff. It seems like almost weekly we hear news of some um, you know, sexual abuse case or something like that done where? Within the context of the church. It's some religious leader, a pastor, a teacher, a, a whatever, a youth pastor, whatever, taking advantage of a student or, or whatever else. And, and in some cases, when you, when you dig into those cases... You know what they're telling those people? This is a spiritual relationship that God has given us. Can, can you imagine? Does that not make you want to just absolutely vomit? So, so you've you got to kind of understand where does this question come from? I mean, you don't, you don't get these kind of questions necessarily from people who are just like ardent atheists. You know? Um, no, it's from people who they see some of the atrocities that have been committed in our world in the name of religion. And right. so, yeah. And that, that is our question for today. Uh, our question for today is, are we better off without religion? And that is a layered question to begin with. And what I would say on the forefront of all of this is if we don't get this question right, then the rest of the nine questions that we're asking, like, is uh, the Bible true? Is, uh, is it, can we good, be good without God? All of those questions are really worthless when you think about it. Because at the forefront of this is, is any of this, what we're doing right here this morning, like, should we just rather be on the lake right now? Like, should we just grab a boat and none of this matters? Let's just live our lives and just be as good as possible. Don't hurt anybody and let's just go forward. Because this, this, this question really, really matters. And before my time, okay, 1966, I can only read about this. Okay, where were you? Born, you were born then? Born in 66. Okay, good, yeah. good. Thriving, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, there was uh, a Time Magazine cover, right? Is God Dead? Okay, John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine, right? And he's quoted by saying this. He says, religion and really Christianity will go. He says, it will vanish and shrink. And he says, I needn't argue about that. I don't even have to, it'll, it'll, he goes, I'm right and I will be proved right. That was in 1966. And in 2018, 
and, uh, in the Olympics, they sang the song that he wrote, Imagine, right? You've heard this song. It's about this idea, this utopian idea that if there was no religion, there was no authority, that everybody just came together, nobody had differing ideas, this idea of unity, that our world would be so much better. And it's, 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 it's this imagine, it's this, hey, let's, let's just imagine that there was no more religion. What, what would our world be like? And since that song's release, 50 years ha, ha, has passed. And what are we seeing now? Is God dead? Is Lenin right? Okay. Is religion dying? And that's the question that we're trying to answer today. Because, like I said, this question is the gateway to the nine other questions that we're going to ask. So let's look at some of these facts, okay? Is religion dead? Like, is it dying off? Okay. Sociologists came up with this theory many years ago called the secularization hypothesis. What this means, it's two fancy words that just mean as we get educated, as we get richer, as we get more science under our belt, religion will die. Okay? That's what it means. That as, as our society gets more advanced, we won't need religion. So what, okay, so is this true, okay? The only, the only uh, really thing that we have to say is this, after decades of, of seeing this, is that hypothesis is, has failed, okay? Because if you're looking at religion on a global scale, let me just throw some percentages at you. This is not exclusive to Christianity right now. Like I said, this is 30,000 foot view, okay? There's so much demographics that would say demographic studies that would say that Christianity on a global scale is actually growing. By 2060, most researchers would say that Christianity will still be the largest global religion at 33%. Islam, by 2060, will be 31%. Hinduism, 14%. Buddhism, 5%. While atheism, it is said that it will actually decline from 16 to 13%. Now, what we have to do is kind of get out of our cultural bubble here, all right, and think of Christianity. We're going to get into this next week about the diversity of Christianity is when we look at other places outside of our Western culture, we see Christianity exploding, you look at places like China. You look at places like Sub-Sahara Africa. You look at places like Iraq and Iran. Christianity is not dying. It's not. You can't say that it is. And we swim in a culture that glorifies people who are deconstructing their faith. Have you seen this? Have you seen major, major people that have uh, once followed Christ who are now saying, I'm not a Christian anymore? One person in particular, my childhood, Jesus Freak, the guy who sang Jesus Freak, just came out a couple weeks ago and said, I'm not a Christian anymore. No longer a Jesus Freak, okay? And what I'm trying to help you understand is that your experience, your viewpoint, is not always the whole picture, because here, ask some students that are upstairs studying this exact same thing. Ask some students about the rise of astrology in their schools. The rise of 
meditation, the rise of horoscopes. What is that? That's not atheism. That's religion. They're just misplacing their idea of God in the stars. And so when we, when we make claims like, is religion dying, we absolutely are seeing people place their faith in other things outside of the God of Christianity, but they're searching. They're searching. So l- let's go back to this idea, okay, to linen. What happens when you take away God? What happens when you take away religion? One of the big conversations in our culture right now is justice, right? We see, this, we see this everywhere. Justice is a biblical idea, okay? It wasn't created in the 2010s and the 2020s. It was created by God himself. And we see a vertical justice within people to God, and we see a horizontal justice between our neighbors. So what happens when you take away the basis of justice, Meaning, what happens when you have no basis to love your neighbor? Because one of the things that Christianity teaches is the image of God, right? That all of us have inherent worth, value, dignity because of our creator. Secular justice does not believe in the image of God. And what's crazy is Christians often devalue people just like secular theory does. When as Christians, we should be valuing people just as highly, even more so. So when we, when we say that, hey, God is dead, or we have no use for religion, guys, we have no basis of love. There's no basis for me to say, I'm just going to kill my neighbor so I can have more money. What would stop you? So this hypothesis has proved to be a failure. So one of the things that people are putting their faith in is this idea of science, okay? There's been a weird relationship between Christianity and science, okay? It's like you have to choose one or the other, When in reality, the deeper you go into science, the more that it reveals a designer. The more that it reveals that we have a creator. When you get to the end of all these theories, the end of all these things, it's left you with this idea of, I have no clue how this works. So when we talk about science, this should not be a Christianity versus science thing. What it should be is, how does our Christian worldview inform our science? How, does the, how do these things give proof, literally evidence, to what we believe? Okay, I want to give you one example, okay? Um, you've maybe heard of the Scopes Monkey Trial, right? Years ago, it was this idea of evolution being taught in schools, and just really quickly, I don't have time to get into all of it, it was... There was this one speechwriter that, that wrote, and never made it into the trial. He said, science cannot teach brotherly love. Science cannot teach brotherly love. And that's very uh, similar to what a neurosurgeon would say when he was making his journey back to faith. He says this, science can explain love and meaning 
as a chemical response in your brain that helped your ancestors survive. But if we say that love and meaning and morals do not feel real but actually are, science can't support that. Scientific knowledge is inapplicable to the central aspects of human life, hope, love, beauty, honor, suffering, and virtue. In other words, his conclusion is that secularism's conclusions that love and meaning are illusions are false. At the end of his life, he came not only to believe in God, but to believe in the Christian God, who at the center, center of his values are what? Sacrifice, redemption, forgiveness. Y'all, if we adopt a worldview of science, let's just say we adopt a worldview outside the John Lennon worldview, no religion, no God, let's just all be happy. We have no basis to love our neighbor. No basis. And this is the failure of secularism. It cannot sustain its claims. And because of this, where are we left? Like Mike said, there have been atrocities in the name of Christianity. Atrocities to this day. But some of the most atrocious things were done in the name of secularism as well. Mm-hmm. There's not this moral high ground. It's almost like sin runs rampant in everything. <laughs> So let's be weary of this new atheism teaching that would say, let's, let us keep the goods of religion without the downside of belief. It's impossible to do. So what we're going to move now is this idea of, okay, I think we've had this basis of we, we have a, um, a sense of religion has to be in the picture, Right? And let's, let's kind of shift into what we believe and why we're here, Christianity, all right? And in this book, I'm going to encourage you to pick it up. Like I said, I have some ordered that we'll give away next week. In this book, she gives several, I guess, examples of the benefits of religious participation, including, she uses a basis of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Or do you want, what do you want to do? Yeah, we can kind of go back and forth with this. I don't have this. I think she mentioned seven in here that I don't have all those memorized. Jace is alluding to that a little bit. Yeah. So we hear talk about, like, for example, in our our legal system, our judicial system, what what, what kind of language do you often hear? We have these Judeo-Christian values, right? Okay, principles upon which those things are, are formed. Okay, whether a person embraces Christianity or calls himself religious or whatever, there are certain aspects of human interaction and flourishing that are, are biblical, <laughs> whether they acknowledge that or not. Okay, I mentioned uh, in the early service in the message that um, earlier in my ministry when I was an associate pastor, I had an opportunity to be a, uh, a chaplain in the juvenile detention system over in Denton County. And uh, so what would happen is every Sunday afternoon uh, after church, I'd grab a bite to eat, I'd go up and I would, I would teach these kids, really, uh, teenagers mostly, who were incarcerated. Um, and I discovered that uh, pretty quickly that their worldview on many levels differed from mine. 
Okay, so, and I mentioned one example. There was a, a young man particularly, and I'll never forget him, um, who basically said this. He said, I think it's okay for me to walk up and punch someone in the face as a matter of revenge or whatever, as long as I don't get caught. And I thought, and so my question back to him is I said, well, what if everybody interacted with their fellow human beings in that way? So, like, what if, you know, somebody cuts me off in traffic? What do I do? Man, it becomes like bumper cars on 75. You know, and you see isolated cases of this, just ridiculous road rage and things of that nature. And, and while we all have probably experienced some frustration and even some anger and, and all those th- sorts of things in those kinds of interactions, ultimately there's something that tells us, I probably shouldn't chase that guy down and wield a weapon. Okay, there's just something there that says whether you're religious or whatever. Okay, there's just a certain uh, there's certain principles, there's certain values, uh, certain virtues. We would say the forgiveness that Jace mentioned, those kind of things that we just say this 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 allows us to inhabit this planet together without all killing each other. Okay, so we don't just have like barbarism, you know, just like people just gone crazy. And so there are certain principles and, and, and concepts that we see that are, are biblical, that, that come from God himself, uh, that um, to, to remove all of that completely, and it just becomes this free-for-all. Can you imagine what the world would be like? I mean, like, <laughs> so, so the forgiveness is one of those things, you know, and, and I mean, many of us could give testimony to the fact that um, an, a, a reluctance to forgive a fellow human being can lead to a great deal of damage to your psyche, to your emotions, to your all of those things because bitterness wells up. And I mean, it's just, it can eat you up. We call it the cancer of the soul, this unforgiveness. Um, and so that's why, uh, and so you, you see a number of different things like that. I mean, there are just, um, and let's face it, we all have, uh, you know, isolated cases. We've experienced, all of us have experienced some incredibly um, mean, angry, frustrated people that are kind of the outlier, you know. I, but, but by and large, most people know, um, you know, just have this kind of, this, this sense of, this understanding that, that the proper thing to do is you know, to let someone go in front of you, to say thank you when someone holds the door. You know, those sorts of things. Um, and so there are these, um, the, you know, the, the, and forgiveness, again, is one of those. I can't recall all of the other ones, but... Yeah, yeah so. and I think one of the things that is, um, that you're alluding to, and I hope that you're making the connection here, is without a Christian worldview, forgiveness makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It, it makes no sense. And, and without a Savior, at the, at the center of our faith is this idea of, forgiveness, that we are given something that we don't deserve. And Jesus himself says, if you are, have been forgiven, what do you do? Forgive. And so, really related to this idea is the idea of being in community. And now what we've seen, and this was written before COVID-19 in the sense of isolation, what it's done to us mentally, do you realize what isolation does to a human being? That we were never meant to be alone. I think one of the most inhumane things is the idea of, of, of keeping someone away from people. It does no good. 
It actually destroys their minds. And we've seen this in, in a big way with COVID-19. You've seen people say, man, I, I just miss people. All of my connections have been taken away from me. At the very, very beginning of the Bible, we see God call a people to be joined together. And Christianity is not an individual thing. That's why we come together as the church. And so we see us being called into community. But another thing, another benefit of, of Christianity is that those who give, it's statistically proven that it's literally more blessed to give than receive. People who give their time and their money, it's been proven that it's mentally healthier to be in these spaces. And alongside of that, is the uh, statistics that say if you are after money, wealth, and success, your happiness goes down. Can you believe that? It's almost like it's biblically proven to say the root of all evil is money, right? Here's a t- t- statistic for you. I'm drinking a lot of coffee. It's really hard to stay statistic when you drink <laughs> a lot of coffee. Um, 83% of freshmen, university freshmen, said that their number one priority in life is to become well-off financially, 83%. That's actually overtaken raising a family for the first time ever. Now, before you go, man, that's just those freshmen. Where do you think they learned that? That's a discipleship thing of saying, man, my, my parents really wanted to be wealthy and be successful, and now I've seen, and I'm going to live what I see. And so w- what we see is this idea in our culture that being wealthy and successful is the top. But we see over and over that the love of money disappoints. Another one is that work works when it's a calling, when it's a calling. This goes behind all of Christian belief that we have a higher purpose of who we're serving. When you're um, serving and you're working, it's not just for your own end. Colossians would say, do all things for the glory of God. Mm And so when we have a calling that stops at ourselves, that we build up ourselves in our own little kingdom, it actually is going to go down. Um, obviously in every church, and just for those of you who maybe don't know me as well, um, uh, I, I've been serving uh, in the local church context for now 30-some years as a student pastor, as an associate pastor. And, um, and certainly the world is changing in this regard. Um, even contextually, sometimes it changes. Um, when we were in East Texas for 11 years, for example, um, you know, for all the, the things that, that people joke about and all that stuff about, you know, life behind the pine curtain and all that kind of stuff, uh, there were still certain values that uh, were still more common culturally. Okay, for example, uh, in the community where we served for 11 years, Wednesday nights was still pretty sacred. Okay, like most ball teams didn't have practices Wednesday nights. Uh, even the high school coaches 
uh, were good about you know releasing teams from practice and those kind of things early enough that their students uh, could get to church to midweek activities for youth group and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and so I, I, like all of you, many of you, I've seen some of these things change over time. Those of you who are a little older, you know, you didn't have some of the, the traveling teams and the sports clubs and the things now where people literally will pay thousands of dollars for their kid to be on a team, for example. I mean, like these, these are coaches who are literally paid by this team of select players, you know, and things. And we had those opportunities through the years. We, we had different ones approach us about, you know, our kids, hey, you know, we want your son to play on this select team. We're going to be playing every Sunday, you know, pretty much. It's every weekend. We're going to be in tournaments and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course, we were like, sorry, we're out. We're out. And I would be having people say, well, you know, if they're not on some of these kind of teams, they won't get noticed. They won't get, you know, they won't get, you know, you know opportunity abound, all these sorts of things. And that's just one small example uh, of some of the kind of things that we are seeing culturally um, that, that, you know, appear to be pushing Christianity, particularly to the margins. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, over the years, and, and we've talked about this uh, statistic um, that, that we've seen over the last, really, I guess, 10, 15 years, maybe even more, uh, that those people who uh, we considered regular, okay, regular attenders, okay, would be in attendance, worship attendance, three out of four Sundays, you know, at least three out of four Sundays, three to four Sundays a month. Well, now that number is down to one or two Sundays a month. It's almost in half. And they use this metric for those of us who teach regularly, you know, how many Sundays does it take for you to preach to your entire congregation one time? Well, that number used to be, you know, maybe two to three Sundays or, uh, you know, whatever. now it takes four to six Sundays to preach to everyone in your entire congregation one time. So what does that tell us? I mean, that tells us that some things are shifting even within the church. Uh, and so one of the things that we've, you know, we've always promoted and said is the reason that Scripture speaks so clearly to uh, th- those things that we love. Think about the number of times in Scripture do you see things about guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. That kind of language, that kind of thing. Be careful, in other words, what it is that you fall in love with. Okay, Because fundamentally, the things that you love the most will be the things that you prioritize. So like when Christy and I uh, first, and we, we'd known each other, you know, earlier, um, and some of y'all know our story, um, we first met when I was 14 and she was 10. So no, I was not a freshman in high school checking out the 10-year-old, okay? She was at that time my sister's friend, and she was really sweet and all that kind of stuff. That was it, okay? But then later, it was like, whoa, she's grown up, you know? And, uh, and as you get older, of course, that little age gap there doesn't matter nearly as much, um, and so when, you know, I began to take an interest in her and those kind of things, I prioritized interactions with her, okay? So like, before, so she worked in the, in, in the, 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 the college bookstore, okay? Um, I mean, I like to think of myself as fairly academic, but I didn't have a whole lot of reason to go to the, to the bookstore until... I wanted to interact with Christy Statlander, right? Okay, and so I would find reasons to go there because I wanted to have conversations with her. And fun fact, that's where we had our first kiss, in the bookstore, okay? And so... Um, Did you hear that, Tim? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. And so, um, you know, but, but so I prioritized 
those kind of why because I wanted to get to know her better. I wanted to understand what she's passionate about, what she loves, the things, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so that became a, a priority of mine. I wanted to spend more time with her. And I think that translates over into our relationship with the Lord. You know, we talk about this, this uh, you know, in the context that we, we talk about religion many times is kind of viewed as a thing. Okay, we talk about relationship. Biblical Christianity fundamentally is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity is. God came down in the person of Jesus Christ and said, I desire to have relationship with you. Now, you've got to understand, a lot of the world's religions have no concept of that. That their God would have a desire to have relationship with us. That's what sets biblical Christianity apart. And so we have to prioritize that relationship. Okay? And so that's where the gathering with God's people, and that's why it's so, it's so unusual. Um, and we would have never imagined, you know, a number of years ago, people saying, well, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not into the church. Like, wait, what? Like, that, that's like saying, I'm into Jesus, and I love Jesus, but I don't love what he loved and died for. <laughs> you know? And, and so that's where it becomes so important. It's not just a, you know, some moral code uh, and that, you know, if you're here, you know, so many Sundays a month that ultimately when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to go, you know, look at me. It, it's, it's because you desire to, to deepen and grow in your relationship with him. And we do that through uh, our time in the word and our time with fellow believers and doing life together and holding one another accountable. I mean, look at the number of times in scripture that we see this one another language. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, forbear with one another. You know, that, that's, that's the language of Scripture. That is, that is fundamentally what Christianity is, uh, is not us living out this relationship in isolation, but it's us living it out together. And so, so as we close here, I, I want to go back to the question. Are we better off without religion? And one of the things that we're... I hope that you're hearing is that without some transcendent being, in our case, we believe that the Lord God has revealed himself through his word and through a person. Mm -hmm. If without this belief, we have no basis of meaning, we have no basis for love. Guys, we have no basis for meaning and suffering. Think about that. That what is this suffering meant to do? We're just going to suffer and die, and that's it. Guys, we have no meaning. We have no purpose. We have no basis of forgiveness. We have no basis of justice. We take God off the map. We lose all of that. So this begs the question of, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this revealed word. Let's talk about who Jesus is. Let's talk about if God cares when we hurt. Let's talk about the misconceptions of, of the Bible that the culture brings and attack. Is, is the Bible pro-slavery? Is the Bible anti-woman? We're asking that question, by the way. Y'all, we, there is so much talk around the religious nuns, and I don't mean N-U-N-N-O-N-E-S, nuns. That has grown. We can't deny that fact. 
that this statistic has grown in our culture, in the United States, in the Western culture, Europe. That more and more people, when they're checking a box, they say, none. But what does that mean? I think it points back to what Mike was talking about, this cultural Christianity. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, I go to church on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, it has no bearing on my life. It doesn't push me to love. It doesn't push me to give. It doesn't push me to love my neighbor as I love myself. There's a cultural Christianity that I believe is being weeded out day by day. And that's not something that we should be scared of. I think that's one of the biggest things is we're, we're so scared of losing ground in the culture when in reality, in weakness, Christianity has grown. When we are losing control and going, where do we turn? All of our places of influence are, are, le- are leaving. We go, okay, let's, let's pray. Let's lean on the Lord. So here's where we end here. Maybe you have friends. Maybe you have family members. Probably, hopefully you do know a non-believer, okay? <laughs> hopefully you are in those circles, And having this idea of, hey, let's have this conversation. What happens if you leave God out of the equation? What happens? And so this is where we end here, okay? We we want to have these conversations. We want to have the gateway going into next week about Christianity, okay? Christianity is one of the craziest movements that's ever happened ever in history. It is unlike any movement that we've ever seen. And people that deny Christianity have to reckon, do some sort of reckoning with how much it's grown. And does it look like one people group? Does it look like one gender or race? Absolutely not. And that's where we're going to go next week. But I would challenge you to think about these things in your own life to say, man, is my walk with the Lord actually impacting me? And with those people in your life that are rejecting Christianity, rejecting God, saying, hey, how do you have a basis for love? How do you have a basis for forgiveness? And what happens after this? All of these questions are boiling down to here. Are we better off without religion? That's the question. Yeah, just uh, real quick, as we close, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm excited uh, for where this is going, and Jace probably would not mention this, but he's starting doctoral work in this realm. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. I told him uh, I'm looking forward to in the future when people ask us these really, really hard, crazy questions. I can go, well, you need to ask Jace about that. So, um, but he's going to be immersed in this. So I would just simply say, pray for him uh, in that regard. Um, and so th- there are things that should be critically important to us. Uh, we're being asked and confronted with questions today that many of us never dreamed we would deal with. Am I right? I mean, most of you have been around for a while. I mean, there were certain things that we could assume in the past that we can no longer assume. Okay. Uh, the, even the basis for an initial conversation with people has to start in a different place many times than it used to a few years ago. And I would, I would just say this about your faith, your relationship with the Lord. If it can't be questioned, okay, 
then, then there's something wrong with your faith. Okay? It, it, and I know it, it sometimes uh, it strikes fear in some of our hearts of, you know, what if they ask a really hard question that I can't, I can't answer? I, I think there's um, a Christ-like humility that says, I don't know. I don't have all the answers to that, but, but let's find the answer together. And let's have this conversation. I think one of the reasons that people put up a wall many times to those of us who claim to be Christians uh, is because of our unwillingness to just say, hey, let's just have an honest conversation about these things. And so that's where we want to go. Um, you know, again, I appreciate and I would echo you know, Jace's um, emphasis in this is not to make you better arguers. <laughs> you know? Now, I mean, you want to certainly have a more clear understanding as you develop in your faith and, and grow in your relationship with the Lord and your sanctification and all those things that, that you have a more clear understanding of some of these, these big issues. Um, and so really, really important to us. And uh, so I hope that God will, will bear out freedom. I would also say that we're excited about Kyle Essery uh, sitting in on uh, hopefully at least a couple of these um, we're kind of scheduling those out right now, so Kyle and Jamie are scheduled to be back in the middle of June, and so that will give us certainly a more international perspective as they've been uh, serving uh, in Southeast Asia for uh, for many years now, really, and uh, and certainly uh, Kyle brings uh, a level of astuteness uh, to the panel that a few people do, uh, and so we're looking forward to that as well, so yeah. Uh, one more thing, and then we'll close in prayer. Uh, I'm also going to be ordering some of these books. This is one of my favorite books of all time called Making Sense of God. And I believe that there's really not a more relevant book, book for our culture in this moment. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes behind uh, the apologetics of our day and goes, ask the question that we just asked today. And what is even worth all this? Like, do before we get into all the cosmological arguments of, of a designer and a creator... Let's talk about, let's go behind it. Let's go before that. And so I would highly recommend this book, uh, Making Sense of God by Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite books, um, really, that I've read in a long time. Um, but let me pray for us uh, and then grab more coffee. I sure, I'm sure we have more donuts out there. So grab coffee, donuts, and then we're going to worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you. Um, God, I thank you that you have revealed truth to us. That you did not leave us in the dark. That you have given us a way to know you. God, we often gloss over that fact that you have revealed yourself to us. And God, who you are is a God of compassion a God of truth, a God of justice. So God, we ask that we would bow humbly before you, recognizing that we do not have all the answers. And God, I pray for the believers in this room. I pray that you would just give them the grit to fight for truth, And I pray that you would give them the compassion that can only come from you to treat those who treat us poorly with love and gentleness, to resist the temptation to tell someone off. God, at the basis of our discipleship is our love for you. 
is our love and obedience to you. So God, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for their relatives, their friends that maybe reject you. They reject truth. They reject a creator. I pray that right now you would use the people in this room to illuminate their eyes, to enlighten the eyes of their hearts. And God, I just pray that you would use us, use this church to be witnesses, to be salt and light to the world. God, we love you. We thank you for, for this day. And we just pray for the worship service that's going to happen here in just a few minutes in this room. I pray that you would move in the, in the, in the hearts and lives of the people. And we ask this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.